0: I would like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. As we continue our series of studies in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we are today in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Hear the Word of God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? For the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let us pray. Father, we pray that as we take up this portion of your word, that your Holy Spirit would lead us not only into a clearer understanding of this text, but a more faithful and thoroughgoing application of the teaching of this text to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always a little bit awkward beginning a passage with the word therefore, because obviously the passage itself is a conclusion from what has gone before. And if you've been with us in this series of studies, you know that Jesus uh, has been teaching Uh, in the passage prior to this about the need uh, that we should not focus our aspirations, our goals, ultimately really our worship, on the things of this world, but rather on God. In fact, the verse just prior to verse 25 ends by saying you cannot serve God and money. And the Aramaic word is mammon, mammon. Uh, Having the idea of money, but perhaps more generally the idea of wealth, our money, our things, our possessions, uh, all of which uh, we might put great stock in and ultimately uh, serve. We may think that we own it, but we may find that it is beginning to own us. And Jesus lays down uh, a very clear division that you cannot serve both. You cannot live for and put as the first priority wealth in this world and serve God. You may try to do both, but in trying to do both, you're serving wealth and not God. You cannot do both. And Jesus has been, it taught us in the, in the prior verses that we should not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, to make a better investment To set aside uh, through our good works those things in heaven that will last forever. Ultimately, Christ himself and our relationship to him. A better vision in verses 22 and 23. Eyes full of light. Seeing what really is the ultimate reality. What should be the ultimate priorities. And then verse 24. uh, To serve a better master. To serve the Lord God. Ultimately, you cannot serve both, as Jesus tells us. Now... Then he begins our passage today with the word therefore, drawing a conclusion, drawing something he surmises from what he has just been teaching. And we want to look at this passage because all too often we tend to hear it out of context. And it focuses on the application of what Jesus has been teaching in the prior paragraphs. Uh, I like the way one writer puts it. He says, what is, as we know to ask, what is the therefore therefore? The therefore is therefore. Uh, It is a logical connection. Directing attention to what has preceded, and we looked at that last week, because transient earthly treasures do not satisfy and do not last, because moral and spiritual vision is easily distorted and darkened, because a choice must be made between God and money, because the kingdom of God demands unswerving allegiance to its values, therefore do not worry, and in particular, do not worry about mere things." Now, as we look at this passage, it's, um, to me, one of the most difficult passages in Scripture, not because it's difficult to understand, but I find it difficult to live. So how can we live without anxiety? How can we live without being worried about at least some things? Aren't there things in the world that should cause us to be anxious, that should cause us to have cares, that might even cause us to be worried, to lose sleep? Well, certainly there are those things in the world. But what Jesus is teaching here is that with a proper view of God and a proper view of of worldly wealth, we can certainly live a life that's not characterized by a consuming focus and obsession and therefore anxiety with those things. Now, Jesus is not by any means teaching here that life will not be difficult. He's not teaching that there are not things in this world that we need to be careful to take care of that will cause us uh, expenditure of energy, of mental uh, exertion, even physical exertion in this world. Uh, D. A. Carson in his commentary says there's little justification in Scripture for picturing the Christian life in terms of constantly effervescent joy. That's just not even realistic. It's not, and that's not what the Scriptures teach. Unbounded peace, unbroken serenity, and still less as their warrant for irresponsibility toward the Lord in the use of his gifts. Joy and peace and freedom there are. Get this. Joy and peace and freedom there are, but only within the matrix of unadulterated commitment to Jesus, along with all the pressures... Such commitment must inevitably bring. And when he's talking about that, uh, Dr. Carson points out Paul's intensity in ministry. Paul himself speaks of his care for the churches that he planted, that he corresponded with, that he visited. And the Scriptures speak, as Carson points out, of the Christians wrestling with his own sin. And so he's right. Jesus is not teaching here, nor do the Scriptures teach anywhere that uh, the Christian life is just constant, effervescent joy, unbounded peace, and unbroken serenity. Well, let's look then at what Jesus is talking about here. He's been speaking about not serving money, not serving wealth, but rather serving God. And three times in this passage we are instructed, do not be anxious. Verse 25, do not be anxious. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious. Not easy. To, it's not hard to miss. Not easy to miss the theme of this passage. Do not be anxious. Well, why not? First of all, let's look at some reasons that Jesus gives that we should not be anxious. And I'm just going to give these, list these to you because that's basically what Jesus does here. Reasons not to be anxious. Number one, anxiety lowers us from who we were made to be. It lowers us from whom we were made to be. Look at verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And here's the question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, for us as human beings made in the image of God, is there not more to life than on the one hand merely eking out an existence to meet our needs or seeking to accumulate the goods of the world beyond what we merely need. That's what Jesus is saying here and here. Paul, in another place, says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of power. And similar theme here, is not life more than food? Is, is, Is it not more than clothing? Well, of course it is. For those of us people, all people, made in the image of God, and certainly for those of us who are Christians, life is about much, much more than means to an end. And the means are food. We need food to eat, is no doubt. We need clothing to wear, absolutely. Uh, but that's not what life is about. Life is about bigger things. Life is about serving Christ in whatever form that might take. It may be serving Christ as a student in school. It may be serving Christ in your employment. It may be serving Christ in your home. It may be serving Christ in the church. It may be serving Christ in various ways out in the community. Various endeavors. It might be having fun, to the glory of God. Enjoying one another's company. Good conversation. Good fellowship. Good games. Athletic competitions. Whatever it might be. All to the glory of God. But life is about much, much, much more than eating. Clothing ourselves. And so when those things become the obsession, then we, we have lowered ourselves beyond who we are as Creatures made in the image of God and remade through the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Charles Spurgeon, the the 19th century Baptist preacher, calls that the world's trinity of cares. Jesus later says the the Gentiles seek those things. The world's trinity. What do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? Well, let it not be so with us. Second reason, not only does anxiety lower us, anxiety questions the goodness of, of God. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. John Stott, in his commentary, uh, points out, and I knew this from other things I've read about him, that he is a, a uh, bird watcher. And his travels around the world have frequently included whipping out the binoculars in the notebook and, and bird watching. And he points out that this is a commandment given to us in Scripture look at the birds of the air. Look at them. Watch them. We just pay attention to them. And he points, they couldn't resist pointing that out in his commentary. Uh, Jesus says, look at the birds. Watch the birds of the air. And of course, birds are beautiful, and they're a lot of fun and a joy to hear singing. But they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, what's Jesus saying? Is he saying that we should not plan, that farmers shouldn't plow and plant and cultivate and store up into barns? No. And he's not saying that we shouldn't take actions necessary to provide for ourselves. What Jesus is saying is this, when he says, are you not of more value than they? Is that they lead a completely carefree lifestyle, living day to day. They do look for the worms. They do look for the bugs. They provide for themselves, but strictly on a day to day basis. They don't worry about tomorrow. They just look for the provision of God today. And, uh, and seem to enjoy themselves in the meantime. And Jesus' point is, are you not much more valuable than the birds? Does not God value you, a man or woman or child made in his image, or a man, woman, and child bought by the precious blood of Christ? Does he not value you more than the birds? Well, of course he does. He also goes on to say later in verses 28, again pointing to creation, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet not even Solomon, in all of his legendary glory, was arrayed, was clothed as beautifully, as regally, as magnificently as the flowers of the field. Even the flowers, these beautiful flowers here before us outdo Solomon in all of his wealth, all of his splendor, all of his glory. They certainly don't toil. They certainly don't spin. They don't do anything to provide for themselves. God simply blesses them with the beauty and produces their glory. Uh, and Jesus goes on to say in verse 30, If God so clothes the grass of the field, the grass, which is today alive, tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much will he not more clothe, much more clothe you? So Jesus points us to the creatures that God provides for. Are we not more valuable than they are? Of course. He points to the flowers and their beauty. They're not even Solomon and all his glory. was like these flowers, and yet they do nothing to, to accomplish this. This is the work of God. Uh, even the grass, it's, it's burned up. Uh, God brings beauty from. And then he says, will he not much more clothe you? And this is the part that hurts. Oh, you of little faith. I mean, we look all around us at God's goodness and at God's provision, and then we're worried he's not going to provide for us. That somehow we've got to take that upon ourselves, that it's all dependent on me and my efforts, as if God suddenly doesn't care about me or care about you. Well, of course he does, because you are of far more value to him than the birds, than the flowers, than the grass. And so Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. If he provides for them, how much more will he provide for you. So anxiety calls into question God's faithfulness, God's goodness. Another reason Jesus gives here, anxiety is pointless. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Or another way of translating it may be to add another cubit, another measurement to his, to his height, another foot to his height. A cubit actually could be about 18 inches. Uh, but which of you, in other words, which of you by, ang- uh, by being anxious have accomplished anything? What has anxiety, what has worry ever done? And so Jesus simply argues from the pointlessness of it. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't lengthen your life. In fact, chronic anxiety might shorten your life, at least from a human point of view, in terms of the wear on the body. Uh, it doesn't do any good. It's pointless. A fourth reason that Jesus gives is that anxiety makes us like the unsaved. Now, remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking with Christian people, believers in mind. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And they do. Many people, even professing Christians, live as though God may exist but is distant and uninvolved. They are basically practically deists. The idea that God may be there, but he really doesn't involve himself in any way, in any meaningful, purposeful way in the affairs of this world and certainly not in the affairs of my life. Well, Jesus is saying that when we become consumed with the questions of providing for ourselves, we become like The unbeliever who is consumed with that, who has no father in heaven that he trusts ultimately to provide for him. And he he says um, in verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. See, that's the Christian's position. Not that I have to seek these things uh, in desperation, but I have a father in heaven who knows what I need and he will provide what I need at one time or another. He does that through means, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But it's a very different position from the person who is running after this and that and the other of the world's goods, providing for himself as if that is the end, the purpose, the meaning of his existence. Makes us like the unsaved. The fifth reason Jesus gives, anxiety questions the knowledge of God. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Now, when we are anxious... We call into question God's knowledge. Maybe God's forgotten me. Maybe God's not aware of me. Well, sure, he cares for people like, you know, John Stott or Billy Graham, the really famous, well-known people. But what about me? Has God forgotten? Well, of course not. And you know better. But when we worry, when we become anxious, we deny that very foundational truth that Jesus loves me. That my Father in Heaven knows That I need something to eat. He knows that I need something to drink. He knows that I need uh, clothing to wear. And then another reason that Jesus gives, a sixth reason, is that anxiety borrows trouble from the future. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Or as the King James says, sufficient unto the day is the trouble thereof. Well, when we, when we become anxious about future events, we're effectively borrowing trouble from the future. Uh, and the strange thing is that most of the things that we are anxious about never happen. Sometimes they do. But the fact is, worrying about them now does nothing to help with them. And in fact, we've got enough to take care of today, maybe taking care of things today that we can do about the future without simply becoming anxious for it. And we're presuming on the future. Fact is, you may not live to see tomorrow in God's providence. Uh, So take care of today. Take care today of things that will help you tomorrow, but do not be anxious about tomorrow because we are borrowing trouble from the future. Now, those are the reasons that Jesus gives. These are the reasons he says do not be anxious. Uh, However, he does give us a positive alternative to anxiety here, and it's found in verse 33. But, he says, seek first the kingdom of God, And his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, that gives us a clue that when Jesus is talking about being anxious about things, he certainly has in mind what we would call worry, being afraid, being fearful. But he also has in mind the idea that with that we're seeking those things, because he puts this as a contrast. Do not be anxious about those things, but seek first the kingdom of God of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you so not only with the anxiety uh, is is the fear but the idea of seeking, living for those things making it the point of our existence to provide and take care of ourselves but Jesus says no, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you Well, Jesus gives us here in this alternative uh, he gives us a new pursuit seek first the kingdom of God of God and, his righteousness. and the word seek there implies activity. It implies uh, even a sense of aggressiveness. Uh, it's the word used in Matthew 2 of Herod, King Herod, evil King Herod, searching for baby Jesus to put him to death. It has the idea in uh, Matthew 18 of the man with a hundred sheep and one wanders off and he goes out searching for that one lost sheep. In other words, this is not being passive. This is being active. This is taking steps toward. This is making it the purpose of our exertions to seek first the kingdom of God. Notice he says seek first. It's to be a priority above the stuff of this world. It is to be uh, more than merely a second or third place uh, interest. It is certainly to be more than a mere afterthought that it might be in all too many professing Christians lies, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We talked about the kingdom of God back in the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, uh, pointing out that Christ rules over all things because of who he is. But the kingdom, as it's spoken up there, is basically those who have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have willingly and voluntarily bowed to his kingship. And have submitted themselves in faith to him, trusted in him and his shed blood to forgive them of their sins, that God would forgive them through Christ. So that's the kingdom as we read about it here. Christ is king over all things, over all people, whether they want him or not. He's God. He rules. But the kingdom is his saving reign over the lives of those who, by his grace, have turned from their sin, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and have been saved. And so it says, seek the kingdom of God. And when Jesus is saying that, we're seeking that, first of all, for ourselves, that more of Christ's reign would be evident in our own lives, uh, also for our families, certainly in our church, and also for the world, whether we're talking across the street or across the ocean. Uh, we want people, we, first of all, for ourselves to know Christ better, our family, we want them to know Christ, but we also want the world To know Christ, we're seeking those things. We are living for a bigger picture than just what I can provide for myself. We are looking for nothing less than the salvation of the world. We're living for something much bigger than merely what I'm going to eat tomorrow, or what I'm going to wear tomorrow, what house I'm going to live in tomorrow. So, a new pursuit: seeking the kingdom of God, seeking His righteousness. Uh, Again, in our lives and in the world. So as Christians, Jesus says, don't be anxious so that you spend your time consumed with seeking after these things, but seek something much grander, much bigger, live for a much larger vision. And that is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But Jesus is not just being uh, theoretical, ethereal here, because he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus, if I do that, What about the provisions that I need in this world? And Jesus says, all of these other things will be added to you as well. You see, as Christians, we have a higher calling. As people, we have a higher calling. And if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, God will see to it that everything that we need is supplied to us. And so we have a new pursuit, but we also have that as a new assurance. God will provide. Now, some things to say about that. That doesn't mean we have no need to work. Elijah was fed by the ravens, yes. But you are not Elijah, and I'm not sure I want to eat what the ravens have brought me anyway, unless I were starving in the desert. Uh, normally, God supplies what we need through work. Not all the time. And work as, as employment, but also uh, perhaps work around the home, work in the garden, whatever it might be. In other words, taking steps to provide for ourselves... Being diligent in those things and yet not being consumed, not being fearful in them, but trusting the Lord through them. Uh, Many of you uh, know that I I really like John Charles Ryle, the 19th century Anglican bishop, uh, strong evangelical. And I commend his writings to you. He says, prudent provision for the future is right. Prudent provision for the future is right. Wearing, corroding, self-tormenting anxiety is wrong. So it doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean we don't look toward retirement. It doesn't mean we don't save for a rainy day. All of those things are appropriate, And as we've seen in Scripture where it commends the ant for its labor and diligence. And in other places, those things are proper. But again, those things don't become the, the, the point of our existence. We're living for something higher while taking care of those basic it also doesn't mean we don't supply the needs of others. I prayed for the Duluth Co-op earlier. Um, we don't say, well, you know, if God wants them to eat, he'll provide for them. You may be the means by which God provides for them. And God certainly can work through means. He can work beyond or above or apart from means as he chooses, though he normally works through means that he has ordained, such as your employment, such as your generosity, whatever it might be, in providing for people. Well, as we look at this passage, we need to remember, first of all, this passage is for Christians. It is for all people, but Jesus is speaking here to Christians and a point of view that we as Christians should have about this world. We're not to serve money, we're to serve God, and therefore we're to have a a trust in God that gives us the opportunity to be... Less care, uh, care ridden, less anxious, less concerned about living in this world because we know that our father is good. He knows our needs and he will meet our needs. Also, this is a passage for Christians whose greatest hunger is Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you are not a Christian, you have no interest in the kingdom of God, not in any real way. Uh, That sounds boring to you. It sounds dull or at least meaningless. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is. Christians who are making it the point of their lives to know Christ, to live for him, to see his kingdom grow, so that they really are living for a higher priority. And remember, that just reflects the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. God's interests first, then our interests. Nevertheless, I know, as many of you do, the struggle of anxiety, the struggle of finding yourself worrying about things, waking up in the middle of the night thinking about things and and being fearful about things. Uh, Jesus is not calling us to anything here that is unrealistic. We need to cultivate a trust in God. We need to deal with anxiety in our lives because it it is, is for all the reasons Jesus listed, wrong. And it doesn't need to be there. Nevertheless, the temptation, anxiety, and even giving into that temptation, just being afraid, can be very real. And very powerful. Well, Paul teaches us in his letter to the Philippians, uh, echoing the words of Jesus, Do not be anxious about anything. This is Paul talking, you know, man who was beaten, left for dead outside the city, uh, shipwrecked, all these kinds of things. Do not be, in fact, in prison when he wrote this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, because it's not based on circumstances, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does Paul say? Instead of giving in to the anxiety, go to the Lord. Go to Him in prayer. Go to him in thanksgiving, supplication with thanksgiving, and let your requests be made known. And The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The circumstances may be very hard, very painful, but we are standing on a firm foundation. As Jesus said in his words, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, indeed, in this world in which we live, these words can seem naive, unrealistic, a fantasy. And yet, Jesus, you would not have said them if you didn't mean them. And so, Lord, we ask your forgiveness when we give in to the temptation to be anxious or fearful or afraid, as if you didn't rule, as if you were not good, as if you didn't know us, as if you did not give your own Son for us. And therefore, we know will freely give us all things. Lord, help us to be a people who are known by an otherworldly peace, regardless of the circumstances. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.